At Magellan Learning Solutions, our mission is to help our clients' educational missions with tailored curricular and operational solutions to help them thrive. To meet the accompanying challenges, the experts at Magellan Learning Solutions offer a full spectrum of services in the areas of curriculum development, operational administration, training and professional development, enrollment and marketing, or custom solutions to niche projects. Whether managing turnkey projects, consulting, or acting as a force multiplier, our experience and relational approach will help your team attain its goals. For all your educational needs, Think Magellan. Visit us at thinkmagellan.com today and set up an introductory meeting. Welcome to the Magellan Podcast, navigating education in the 21st century. This podcast brings the expertise of Magellan Learning Solutions to the biggest questions and issues in higher education. It is produced and directed by Adam Rank. Podcast theme was written and recorded by Wayne Patton, and it features Magellan partners Wayne Patton, Aaron Traphagen, and Emily Hetty. We've spent a lot of time talking about the theory of cognitive load and some ways we might apply it in our classrooms. Instructional designers can be instrumental in helping instructors to think through the ways their courses create and distribute cognitive load. Join the Magellan Partners and special guest, Dr. Chris Davis, Assistant Director of Learning Design and Development at Magellan, as they discuss how instructional designers can help with cognitive load issues. Hello, uh, I'm Aaron Traphagen, and joining me as usual are Drs. Emily Hetty and Wayne Patton. Good to see everybody today. How are you guys? Wonderful. You're not wonderful. You said you're hungry. You've been complaining about being hungry. Mm, a lot, really. Yeah, I missed lunch today to to do this podcast, so I'm suffering for the, the sake of the team and, and Appreciate others. your sacrifices, yeah. Wayne. I, I'm doing real well, though, by contrast. You know, I planned ahead and ate my lunch before we started recording. Frittatas, I heard. Frittatas. Mm. Little frittatas, yeah. Aaron, have you had lunch? Have uh, you had lunch today? Not or? eating lunch. I got lost on my motorcycle instead of eating. That was your choice. Um, but it was. Well, the motorcycle <laughs> took over. But um, Wayne, on... Uh, relevant topics i hear that you uh you have some news to share with us today yeah well, just to keep the listeners uh, informed that um, magellan of course a full range uh, service company in the areas of content development academic operations and it's been a good season for us we've been busy i've lined up a number of new clients uh, coming into the spring here doing a range of projects from course development to, to helping with some operational pieces at some schools and um, doing a few assessment reports uh, down in North Carolina. So it's been a good season for us, staying busy. Well, that's great news, Wayne. Uh, We're excited to be there, and I'm excited as well to uh, welcome Dr. Chris Davis, as you heard Adam say, one of our assistant directors of learning design and development here at Magellan. Uh, Welcome, Chris. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your background and, and uh, how you got to be here at Magellan? Uh, yeah, sounds good. I uh, Probably all of the educational experience isn't relevant at this point, but uh, <laughs> but basically um, the way I you know got plugged in with Magellan is uh, through SME work um, and got involved with a project y'all were doing and, you know, you, you showed me the light. And um, ever since then, it's been, you know, it's been really interesting because I, I used to, you know, progress in my course designs in a certain way. And then it was like this giant roadblock when I came up against Magellan's way of doing things. Oh 
Um, and then I learned it and realized that this is an amazing style of, of putting courses together. And, um, and then I, I had the, the, the pleasure of teaching this course also um, and got great reviews from the students saying it's some of the, the best classes they've ever taken. And, the, and, I, and I got to see the fruit of that in different ways. Um, and, you know, and this is obviously in the online context with um, the, the learning that was produced and the type of material that came out of that. And so I was sold. And so when I, you know, you all offered me the opportunity to come on for instructional design, I hopped on that. And uh, it's been about two years now. And um, it's, it's been great. Um, uh, and so I guess educational background, a little bit of an overlap is I, you know, I have a background in philosophy. And so what I've, what I've been finding as I'm studying a lot of this and, um, learning the learning, uh, theory and instructional design is it overlaps quite a bit with, uh, the epistemological material that I've, you know, I've dealt with in, in various contexts. And so it, it's actually, uh, amazing getting to get paid to study something that I was you know, studying in this other context under different terminology. And so the terminology is different. And so I'm, I'm still kind of learning some of that. Um, and then, you know, but once, once I get that, I, I can track pretty well with uh, context, but yeah, so it's really good to be here. Nice. Well, we're excited to have you here. And I did just for the audience, I want to take you back. We do have an audio clip of uh, the day that Chris came to the light um, and experienced uh, proper learning design. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I was there for that. That was amazing. Uh, so to that end, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump in. We've been talking about cognitive load, and, and we talked a, a few episodes ago, <clears throat> ago about schemas, uh, schema development, and, and last time we were really talking about how to focus on and, and maximize uh, students' time in the germane load area. Uh, this time, the focus on uh, how instructional designers can help with cognitive load issues. And so, Emily, I know you had a few questions you wanted to put to Chris. Yeah, so um, let's just maybe back up a little bit on this and um, say I think you know, we were, we've been talking, you know, off and on over the last long while about the fact that most of these concepts, you know, teaching concepts, instructional design concepts, all that are we're just not trained in those if we come up through the typical faculty track. I mean, I know um, when I was having to learn to teach, I had – kind of a little bit of a class, kind of. Um, I learned a fair amount from doing some peer observations and such, but I've never formally been trained in teaching. I mean, I think I, I learned it over time, but a lot of this vocabulary and these concepts came to me just really late. Um, that being said, I don't think I was a bad teacher, and I think a lot of the subject matter experts or SMEs that we work with are in a similar situation. They're, they're pretty good teachers. They do a great job, often in their residential classes, suddenly they're having to transition online. And then they're also having to meet somebody like Chris, who's an instructional designer. And if you're like me back in the day, I would say, what is an instructional designer? And why do I need one? I'm doing okay. So could you maybe just help me understand, help us understand that a little bit, Chris? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and that, that's actually a really hard question to answer because, uh, you know, if you look up the definition of ID, like it is uh, literally right next to superhero. So it, <laughs> wow. it is got so many things thrown in there that, um, and that's not a joke. That's in, in these ID trainings. That is how they present this. Like you got to have like all of this, you got to have all this, all this, all this. Um, and so it's, it's like, you know, um, jack of all trades type of a, uh, an arena. Um, and as far as, um, you know, dealing with faculty in this, I think, I think part of the issue is like when we, when we pull faculty in on the ground, you're dealing with people that are like intuitive in, in this, in this respect, you know, they have this ability to get in there 
size up the crowd, see the students where they're at, and then draw them in with their personalities, whatever it is, they can see where they need to go. And so then when you get into the online space, you literally strip all of that from them, you know, and so so now what? And, you know, and, and it, it's a daunting task for, for many of us because we're like, well, you know, I can't see this student's face, but that email seems pretty heated, you know, and I don't really know how to respond to that. Um, and so, you know, learning how to, how to deal with that is one aspect, but then also just in the design on the front end, um, you know, helping to put together these courses that are structured in such a way that will bring students to those same um, the epiphany moments um, and then not getting to see it. And so mm-hmm. one of, the, one of the, the challenges with this, uh, this you know, job is, and ideas, helping faculty to kind of let go of some of the, I love being in the classroom and seeing the, the eyes turn on, you know, mm-hmm. that moment that we all live for but realizing that that's still happening. And so one of the things I get pushed back on quite a bit is, well, these students aren't learning. They're not, they're not getting it, you know? And, um, and we, we do some training on this. Um, and it really, the, the data shows that learning is happening, you know, and these things are taking place. It's just not visual in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's through that process where we were going to partner with an SME or, you know, faculty member to put these together um, that I think you still have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like you're still getting the student to these places, um, but you've just got to trust that your design on the front end is getting them there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's where the ID comes in. Is like you know we're there to help you to make sure that that is going to happen. That's it's, great. It's a weird balance too, though, because they're the the content expert, and you're trying to offer input and advice. Uh, so it's it's a delicate place to offer them input without trying to interfere with their their knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't want to step on toes. And, um, you know, and, and then also in that, it's like they know their stuff. Like it, it's crazy being in a class and, you know, having to give or in online uh, development and having to give ideas. Um, but but also respecting that, like, you know, so much about this. I can't hope to know what you're dealing with. And usually that that helps, too, because I've seen I've seen sometimes with an ID will be like, oh, you should do it this way. You know, and that's immediate bristles, you know, like I'm not going to do it that way. Like I'm, I know what I'm doing, you know, but if you had approached it at a different angle of like, well, you you obviously know your stuff. Um, and so maybe if we just present the same material in a slightly different way that will get to that uh, result. Uh, this might work out. So it's, a, you know, about presenting things differently. That makes sense. So just kind of practical application because I like to envision things. Um, I teach literature. Um, if I'm teaching, say, a residential class, it's, you know, I might present a little bit of information on the front end. You know, students have come in, they've done their reading, they've taken their little, you know, reading, writing quiz for the day that's basically just there so I make sure that they do the reading. Um, and then we just have like an hour and a half long discussion. And I have outcomes in my head and sometimes I'll write them on the board. Um, but... I'm good enough at leading discussion typically that I can get the students to make the points that I really could have made myself. Um, and they achieved the outcomes and they, they worked their own way there in some sense. And all I did was sort of steer them and guide them. That does not work online. I can't just film a class and, you know, zoom it out to everybody and expect that whoever's watching at home will be, you know, incredibly interested and, you know, mm-hmm. just sort of shouting and, you know, texting me things about what's happening. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So how would you work with an, a, a professor like me who's used to that very Socratic kind of kind of method? Um, yeah, so when so discussion are you know is going to be like that primary area where this takes place. So it is and it is possible to get some of that still, um, but a lot of that has to do with the good construction of discussion prompts. And so um, you know there, there's a there's a ton of literature on like how to do this, mm-hmm. um, but it really depends on how involved a, and a, a faculty will want to get. And so I think part of the pro- the, the problem is 
when we're on the ground, um, you know, like you said, you see it and then you can throw it out there, Yeah. you know, and, and so it's, it's easy to just impromptu do it, but a lot of thought has to go in on the front end of how we're going to get a discussion to actually like <laughs> instigate a debate yeah. in the, yeah. cl- you know, in that setting. Um, and, not, and then also not do it to, to the point that it's so heated that it just shuts everything down. So it, it, it um, I don't think there's an easy answer to that, mm-hmm. but that it is possible to replicate some of it. Um, it just needs to become more focused. So eat, everything's going to be modular essentially. So you're going to have, you're going to have to pick and choose things rather than having maybe like 10 different things that you want to do on the ground. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll lim- limit that in each unit or module um, to a few and then, and see if we can get those. But, um, but I have seen it done where th- those things you, and you get a feel for it too, as uh, being an instructor. So you, you set it up and you know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. So you've got you got some students that are going to go off this way, and you got other ones that are going to go off this way. And one of the easiest ways to deal with that is actually just bring them together in the discussion setting. You know, you know, go back, bring them together, and be like, "Hey, did you did you notice this uh, yeah. this comment over here?" You don't have to do anything. Then they're going to be like, "Yeah, I didn't like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna respond now, you know, or whatever." <laughs> yeah. So you can you can still generate that, but it takes it takes some um, active engagement. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks. That's great. So. Getting to the to the issue at hand, cognitive load. And I think we we've already started to kind of go there a little bit. Like, how do you how do you get students to um, be involved in their learning? How do you make that learning experience efficient and and practical for them? Um, what are some some suggestions that you might make to say an instructor who who just likes to do everything um, with long blocks of text? You know, what would you say in that kind of situation? Um. We need to break that up. <laughs> maybe, maybe not exactly like that, yeah, but yeah, I, like I know we I probably, we need to, that, but yeah. yeah, like we need we need to um, let, maybe make it a little more engaging, a little more appealing. Um, and there's different ways to do that uh, in the online space. And I, uh, I I think you're hinting toward this notion of modalities and, yeah, and you yeah. know and getting that mix in there. Um, and you know, just even using that word. Uh, is actually a loaded deal because I, I have found that most most faculty I engage with when I say the word modality, they look at me and they're like, "What are you talking about?" Mm. You know, and and so um, that's because in our where we're at, this has become common parlance. You know, mm-hmm. we're just going around saying modalities. We know what it means, but everybody is still thinking in terms of the older learning styles paradigm, the VARC model, right? Mm-hmm. So the visual, auditory, uh, reading, writing, kinesthetic stuff. Um, and so I think. Um, I don't know. Can I go a little more into this? Go is there. that good? Yeah. So th- this yeah. essentially, like, I think I think this is a helpful thing to understand when we're expressing to faculty because there, there's there, like you mentioned earlier, like these people are great at teaching. They're mm-hmm. very skilled in their area and they're they're brilliant, right? But that doesn't mean they know right. te- uh, teaching uh, pedagogy and these these different you know areas. And so we we still need to. Um, uh, come to this at a <laughs> at an educational perspective, and so when we're talking about this, and I, I bring up modalities, for instance, mm-hmm. okay, the pause moment. They don't know what I'm talking about. So how do we deal with this? Well, um, I think education on this is is helpful. And so, like Cofield in 2004, you know, did this study on these um, over all the learning theories, like about 40, I suppose, uh, and picked out about a dozen of them, and then analyzed all these and the evidence that you go into these learning theories and, and tried to show if it was actually relevant and it actually was like proving what it was saying to prove. Anyway, the conclusion to this was that these learning styles do not have any evidence backing that. Um, and so then this has obviously been, you know, replicated in numerous studies, 2018, Alvarez and uh, Montero updated this. Um, and so you can replicate this and show that this evidence was anecdotal and there's just the, the size of the studies were too small or whatever. And so there's just nothing that really backs up this concept. So, um, you know, first dismantling that a little bit is helpful. I think just saying, look, like it's not, it, they're, they're just not necessarily learning styles. Um, 
So I, if I can, I want to bring up some neuro myths. All right. Okay. Sure. This is so. So here's up. This has been. This is. We have crazy. any intro music for this? Yet? <laughs> <laughs> this was. Uh, this was put together by OLC. So this is not experimental on OLC's part. They're mm-hmm. bringing together all of the data and then putting this together in like nice little fancy list that is really helpful. And I found these. I'm not gonna go through all of them. There's like 40 of them, but they're like some of these are really fun. And they caught me. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't know that. So, all right. So, um, all right. Here's one. So listening to classical music increases reasoning ability. True or false? I'm not going to put you on the spot. It's false. All right. So uh, only uh, 15% of instructors surveyed got this one right. And only 13% of instructional designers got this one right. And only 11% of administrators got this one right. I got this one wrong. Is that because of the whole Mozart and Hitler? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this, yeah. I grew up thinking this, like yeah. classical music. We were all taught to right. listen to classical music. So I'm sitting there. I still do it at home. <laughs> you know, I've switched, I switched into like more um, neural, neural beats now, but I guarantee <laughs> it's the same thing. I'm just, uh, <laughs> never mind. So I, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So some of us are left-brained and some are right-brained due to hemispheric dominance, and this helps explain differences in how we learn. So same thing. This is false. Okay. So in this case, 28%. Yeah. <laughs> Got that one? Oh, we can, we can quiz. My, my can. mom can't listen to this podcast. Almost, almost every sentence uh, on learning from my mother entails something about the right or left brain um, theory. Yeah, I mean, this is this is fascinating to me because I, you know, like some of these, I was like, no way, that's that that can't be true. So, but um, but and all this is backed up with a ton of data. So they're they're just putting the list together. Yeah. Um, but so that that's false. And twenty eight percent of instructors got that right. Forty one percent of IDs got that right, and twenty eight percent of administrators got it right. So I'm obviously I'm not going to keep going, but I want to I want to get to one uh, that's pertinent. And so this is individuals learn better when they receive information in uh, the, their learning styles, you know, e.g. auditory, visual, kinesthetic. All right. So this is false, <laughs> as we've covered. <laughs> and on this one, instructors, uh, only 26% got this one correct. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, three three quarters of uh, instructors are still thinking in terms of this this idea, um, and then IDs were about fifty fifty on this one. So that's that that that's I think encouraging, um, and administrators were a similar number to instructors, so around the thirty percent mark. But um, the point in this is is to say that like when we're going into these conversations, I, I think it's helpful. Uh, to try to use terminology and then briefly just touch on it. And, you know, like when I bring up modalities now, I say in these different modalities, but then I explain briefly what it is. And then if the faculty member is like, yeah, I got you, I know what you mean. And we move on. In, this, in the psychology department, for instance, most of them know what I'm talking about. But, you know, in business, they don't know what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. they have to, you know, you got to, you know, um, figure out where you're at, your context. Um, and so... One of the problems, though, is that this has caused like a uh, two-party system going on. So you've got half <laughs> half are like ready to like throw out learning styles completely, and then you got the other party that's like, "No, I'm going to dig my heels in the sand. There are learning styles, and we need to be teaching to those." Um, and so the modalities approach is a middle of the road. Okay, so th- that's why that exists, and I think that's helpful. I don't think middle of the road is always the best option, but in this case, I think it is because you're trying to say something that there's something relevant going on there, and maybe we don't have evidence to support. Uh, the style itself, but there's something going on there. Um, and so the way I think of this is actually like styles versus preferences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, so styles, you know, is implying that learning happens in this way 
whereas preference is implying I like to learn in this way, yeah. you know, and so you're, you're personalizing. You're just saying, I, this is a, I like to consume media in this way. We all like to be comfortable. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that that's exactly it. It's, it's a comfortability. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, what we're talking about here too, there, there's other science behind breaking up the modalities, right? <clears throat> it's cognitive load again. Right. right. So like if I can, um, you know, lecture for 10 minutes on the contagious diseases acts, that's one way I could do that. Um, and my, People who think they're auditory learners will love that preference, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's right in their, right in their wheelhouse. Um, it would be better if I could maybe say a few words in a lecture and write a little bit down in an outline and show a picture um, that's mm-hmm. relevant, because yeah. then that sort of spreads that load out mm-hmm. um, in the brain. The brain doesn't have to work as hard when it it gets to spread out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of different science, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And then Meyer also backs that up with uh, in his multimedia theory yeah. that, that just people learn better with mm-hmm. image and text like yeah. that. So, you know, so you're, you're, you're dealing with two, different, two things, too, at the exactly. same time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. And I, I think we all we all have our preferences. Yes. And I've tried I have tried, Chris, and, and I agree with you. It doesn't work when you tell people, no, you don't learn best that way. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to shut it's it down. Good fast. To just say, oh, okay, and then go ahead and design it properly. Uh, <laughs> I think there there was a study. I can't remember who it was that showed that um, learning happens effectively um, by learning style when the material is presented in the learning style that fits it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yes. that's sort of logical. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you're doing music, there should probably be an auditory and a kinesthetic mm-hmm. aspect to that. Um, yeah, so it's more aligned to the content than the learner. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Philosophy doesn't work as well in kinesthetic <laughs> registers. Yeah. Yeah. Embrace the metaphysical. Wayne, Wayne, you've been doing it wrong. You've been doing it wrong. Let's do metaphysics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, one of the other things we've been talking about is um, is schema formation and kind of helping, helping instructors um, understand how students need to organize and... Um, file information away. So how, how can an instructional designer be helpful with, with that kind of activity? Yeah, so this is um, this is one of those questions that's challenging from an ID perspective, um, largely because, uh, you know, from, from my understanding of the field, most IDs are not involved in the macro decision-making. And so when they get into a course, most of the time, they are dealing with individual courses. Um, in fact, uh, in one in one setting where I was uh, debating this with IDs, uh, they, there was this common frustration across the board that they're just handed a list of um, course outcomes, mm. and then they have to work with those. You know, and those cannot change. And so part part of the problem with that though is, and if if you're if we're trying to help uh, design a, a well balanced course uh, that's that's building on schema, in order to do that, you really have to have that. Uh, that macro structure in place. And so I, I think that the the short answer to this is if you could install an ID at that higher level where you can have a, a programmatic approach to mm-hmm. instructional design, uh, then that, that's how you would almost ensure that this is happening. Everything's connecting. So your, your alignment isn't just course to course. It's across an entire program. So maybe a, a tighter uh, line of communication between the assessment folks and the instructional design folks would that help at all yeah yeah i can't i'm sure there are institutions that have that built into their hierarchy but i can't think of any off the top of my head yeah. um, the id folks tend to be sometimes over in the um, either the teaching and learning center or sometimes over in it that mm-hmm. seems to be a place they think of i think people think of them as you know computer people or you know learning management system people but you're right somebody sat over in a closet and mapped out this curriculum yeah. and how it all connects and feeds to these larger outcomes 
and then they they took the people actually building the curriculum, right? And they're like, here's your piece yeah. without helping, yeah. you know, Good luck. show the larger architecture. I do think quite often, too, nobody actually mapped out how that curriculum works. Um, <laughs> or, or if they did, it was a bunch of committees mm-hmm. drawing local maps over a course of, you know, a couple of decades, and then somebody tried to marry those up. And then, you know, eventually it gets to where it's not working anymore, and the university enters a long process of, say, general education revision, which is nightmarish on even the most functional of campuses. Um, then you try to do it all again, and then it drifts again. Well, or even if you d- can do it, you, you get faculty who move from one place to another, yeah. and then somebody else comes in, revamps the course with no thoughts about all of that work that went into it, and slowly it it yeah. floats apart as well. So yeah. it's hard to manage yeah. for sure. Yeah, this is one of those times where I'm, I'm not a huge fan of outside accreditation kind of dictating outcomes. Um, I think that takes away some of what the beautiful things are that happen at um, institutions. But it's it's really nice sometimes when, you know, say athletic training has to have these outcomes because it, it forces a curriculum map better than none. Yeah, I mean, and there there are a couple approaches though. Like so, you know, I don't, it's not like a, you know, can't happen um, because – you can you can deal with it still at that level, and we're, we're we're talking about. So again, this is back to philosophical structure. So when I when I think of scheme, I think of noetic structures. Mm-hmm. Like, so this is you know, the overlap here, uh, taking me a minute to like put all this into place. But um, so when you're dealing with that, you're dealing with this not just educational enterprise, but the application of your knowledge to your life. And so, you know, ha- teaching. Are getting our students to actually take what they're learning and integrate it into everything. Um, and so one of the ways you can do that internally in a course is by um, scaffolding assignments and, you know, ruling this into the summative assessment, uh, you know, wh- whether it's one big one, a couple big ones or whatever. Um, you can break it down. An example would be like an annotated big bibliography rather than just throwing students into a research paper, you know, and so they can see, you know, the, the baseline here and they can start building their way to this, um, this larger picture, resource summary podcast, part two, right? Paper part three, synthesis with a peer review at the, at the end or something like that. Um, and so, you know, always trying to, you know, integrate these things and keep, keep people seeing how it relates to other parts of, of a, a course. That's really good. Or body knowledge. Yeah. And it's like we were talking about earlier, but you have to have that, that base of knowledge to start because how many times did we see it as young students where you're asked to create a thesis statement on a topic, you know, virtually nothing about and and the professor's intention was good because they were trying to scaffold you up to, but they probably needed to start even lower than, oh, what's your thesis question? What problem are you trying to solve when you don't even know the problems, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then um, I think I think – you know, one other little side note here is, um, so there's this really good book I've been recommending to everybody to read. It's called <laughs> Make It Stick. All right. And this, this is, um, uh, going, going against the grain in a lot of ways. And so it's upsetting some people, but whatever you can't, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really like do anything without upsetting somebody. So, uh, basically what, what they, what they're doing is they're, they're involving cognitive science and neuroscience and, and trying to, to show how learning actually takes place in measurable ways and what that looks like. And so when you're, you know, when you're dealing with the, that approach of like integration of knowledge everywhere, one of the problems that they're seeing is that learning has become too easy. Mm. And so learning isn't happening. And so if it's too easy, um, cause this is a common approach, we want to make things simple. And so when people hear chunking or, or blocking or whatever, they're, they're thinking that necessarily means easy. Mm. Um, and so, but, but the problem is that's not, that's not what we want to do with learning. Learning should not be easy in order for it to actually affect learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, you know, uh, let me just give one example of this because uh, pertinent to um, instructional design. 
Uh, so we're, we're trained to pick the cleanest looking font and put that into an LMS because that is what is visually pleasing and it is going to be easiest to read. So they, they run studies on this and they show that that actually is not as conducive to learning mm-hmm. as if you pick a font that's challenging to read, huh. one that we would not use in, in design. Mm-hmm. And so the conclusion, you include it whichever you want, but they conclude that that is because um, it's making it harder for that information to be processed. And so the student has to slow down and, and get that information mm-hmm. in. Um, and so that brings up the whole notion of the um, extrinsic and intrinsic load and you know that's going to that's going to vary based on what your course looks like you know and we don't want to you know you know we don't want to make the extrinsic load larger like that mm-hmm. um so we still would use that font uh, but in an easy setting right so these done we're done with like very simple things and they're just showing that if we make it a little harder um it's, it's going to help in that learning and that um long-term processing mm. and integration so oh, present good. difficult concepts in, in cursive yeah. Wow. No, no, yeah. No, don't do that. Yeah. No, but so the, the concept is trying to slow them down so they can spend the time, right? Yes. So instead um, of presenting a large complex schema, chunk it, mm-hmm. it's not a reduction of rigor. Right. right. Simply breaking those pieces yes. apart mm-hmm. and yeah. slowing them down so they can right. get each piece as they need to to form the, the mm-hmm. larger schema. Yeah. 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 And maybe even, you know, do a video for five to 10 minutes or something like that, and then have a short reflection or a short mm-hmm. knowledge check or something like that. And, you know, again, stop them, right? Mm-hmm. Stop them, make them ponder, reflect, you know, do mm-hmm. something before you go on. Because, I mean, personally, if I have to watch a video that goes an hour, I'm, I'm done. Right. Well, and it's, it's <laughs> amazing how much that isn't done mm-hmm. in online education because it's something that I think, again, go to classroom after classroom and you see faculty talking to the students and, and checking did they pick up what they were saying, trying to get that feedback and you just don't see it as often with the online courses. So that's that's a great, you know, tip there as well. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I like your um your thought too that, you know, you need to be smart about when and how you're asking them to work. And and that's something that an instructional designer, maybe because they're an outsider in some ways, can do better than somebody who just knows this course and knows this discipline, you know, like the back of their hand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As we get ready to kind of wrap this thing, any last thoughts or, you know, talking to folks uh, either who are instructional designer or subject matter, you know what, this is what I really want to hear. Your <laughs> advice to subject matters getting ready to work with an instructional designer like. So what what can they do to maximize that, that resource they're being given? Uh, I mean, because it is a blessing uh, versus being by yourself. How do you convince them of that and help them see, you know, what that relationship can be for them and how it can help them? Yeah. So in a nutshell, I would, I would say that at least the first time you do this, just trust, trust the process, like just, just let it happen. And if you hate it, then throw up the guards, you know, but like, but, but just, just try it first, you know, um, because, uh, you know, with that, if you can, if you can just let guard down the guard early, you won't go through what I went through, which was months of like agony, trying to understand it first, you know, and it, cause a lot of that understanding doesn't come until you see it. And you, you just can't jump to that point because we're so used to doing things in a different way. Uh, it's just not, it's not going to happen. And so you, at a certain point, um, you know, I, I hope that you would trust your administration that they put these people there for a reason. And so, you, you know, if you can, let it happen one time, <laughs> see how it goes, and then see what the results are. You know, and I, I think you'll be surprised. I think that you'll you'll find, yeah, that was actually that was a lot of work, but it was cool. Like I, it it produced stuff that I've never produced before. Great. Yeah, you've mentioned that at the beginning. You've, we've had a number of SMEs that were maybe a little cantankerous 
uh, that at the end of the day mm-hmm. said, this is the best course I ever created. And we actually use some of those people mm-hmm. to do little, you know, blurbs for us about the, the, their experience. Right. So it's a great point. And in my time, it's always been about selling that relationship and partnership. I mean, I, I think you hit on it multiple times. We always, you know, Hey, you know, the sort of Wayne's world, we're not worthy, you know, as far as their knowledge <laughs> of the content. Right. But, but we have knowledge to share too. And, and we're not here to try to tell you what you know is wrong here to try to help you translate what you're amazing at into an effective and efficient Mm -hmm. online curriculum you know we don't want to change the substance we want to help you present it in its best way in this new method uh you know that's very different so uh and for anybody who's wondering chris is phenomenal at this uh and we're we're blessed to have him so we really appreciate chris and everything he brings (laughs) to the team and thanks for being here and sharing with us today. Thanks. It's awesome. This is fun. All right, folks. Thank you for listening to our discussion on how instructional designers can help with cognitive load issues. If you enjoyed the podcast today or found it helpful, follow us on iTunes, on Spotify, or where you listen to podcasts and listen to our earlier episodes. Leave a review. Let us know what you think. In two weeks, look for a special episode recorded with a guest while present at the VCCS 2023 New Horizons Conference. If you or your school is looking for help with RSI, your online ecosystem, curriculum, or course development, Think Magellan. Our team would love to help. Reach out to us at thinkmagellan.com. Thank you for joining us on the Magellan Podcast, Navigating Education in the 21st Century.